Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I'm always looking to help the Next Level Soul audience take their soul to the next level. And I've been able to partner with Mind Valley to present you guys with a ton of free master classes between 60 and 90 minutes covering mind, body, soul, relationships, and conscious entrepreneurship. Some of these master classes are taught by spiritual masters, relationship experts, best selling authors, legends in the personal growth and spirituality space, and so much more. So if you want to sign up for any of our free mind, body, and soul masterclasses, just head over to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of the show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today on the show, we have professor, researcher, and clinical psychologist, Dr. Lisa Miller, who is best known for the research she has done in spirituality and how it connects to neuroscience. And Dr. Miller and I had a fascinating conversation about what happens in the brain when you believe in God and a higher power, what is actually happening when you have faith what it does to your mind, what it does to your well-being, and so much more. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Lisa Miller. How are you doing, Lisa? Alex, I'm so excited to be here. I'm so grateful to you for the depth and the continuity of the conversation you're creating right in the middle of our society. It's just what we need. I appreciate that very much. It's very kind of you to say. And I'm very, uh, I'm very excited to talk to you about the work you're doing. You're doing you know, we're hitting the same question from different angles here, and you're hitting it from the scientific meet spirituality, which is one of my favorite places to come at this question from. And I'm hitting it from what I'm doing here. And we're all, I think, trying to do the same thing, trying to lift the awareness and the awakening of the species as a general statement, but we're doing it in our own way. So I'm very grateful for what you're doing with your work. Well, I think, you know, right now we have a donut-sized hole in the middle of our culture, which is a spiritual hole. And there's so many people feeling called into this space. And if we can do that in a way consistent with our inborn capacities, and you are a wonderful orator, you have an expansive awareness, right in the middle, you're hosting these conversations. It's exactly what we need to do to re-enliven our public square so that spirituality is back in the middle of our daily lives, you know, classrooms, boardrooms, podcasts, it has to be right in the middle and it has to be okay to speak from the spiritual heart. If we're going to get anywhere in these next very precious formative years. Yes, we are going through a, a difficult time right now as a, pains. It, they're very much growing pains without question. So I have to ask, and I love asking people that come from the scientific background or are in the science world, how did the spiritual side of you how does a spiritual person get into the sciences or how does a science, a science person gets into spirituality? How did those two meet in your world? So Alex, I was as a child, a very spiritual child. And 
I'm very grateful that my mother also is a profoundly spiritual person. So it was never smashed out of me. You know, every child's born with an innate capacity. This is who we are. And we know that through the lens of science. We know that as a fact, whether it's MRI studies or twin studies or long-term health and wellness studies, we are spiritual beings, but we let that lay fallow in so many young kids. I mean, school is completely silent on the forms of knowing that are essential to spiritual life, like intuition, like mystical awareness, like you know, that deep gut sense. If you say in school, you know, how do you know that on a test? It came to me through my intuition and minus four, right? But that is a valid form of human knowing. That's a hardwired capacity. We all have it. It's a human form of knowing. So, you know, I think we've had a really lopsided culture, particularly, you know, in the 20th century. And we've all been coming out of this, out of this ice age, this total ice age of spiritual transcendent awareness of spiritual transcendent conversation. And the ones who've been starved the most are kids. And what we're seeing right now in the epidemic, the pandemic of the diseases of despair, suicide, depression and addiction in young adults, Gen Z. Half of Gen Z has a disease of despair as of now, the fall of 2022. So this is all the direct consequence of having silenced the spiritual voice and left their deep spiritual core to atrophy. We have done them wrong, but now we're turning the tide and we're gonna do them right. Amen, sister. Uh <laughs> Yes, my brother, brother in this mission, common purpose. I appreciate that. Well, let me ask you then, because I think, you know, the, even the term God has been demonized because it has, it's such a loaded word now because of the religious connotations to it. So, you know, people more comfortable with the universe, a higher power, source power, you're giving, it's all the same thing, but they're giving it different names because I hear when people say the word God, it automatically triggers them into thinking of religion. And let me ask you a question. In your opinion, what is the difference between religion and spirituality? So I can even give you something better than my opinion, Alex. I can give you a scientific fact on the Stop difference. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. I can do this. It is peer-reviewed. It is absolutely 100% fact. Okay. Religion, if we look through the lens of science, and in particular a twin study, we can determine the extent to which any human capacity or trait is inborn versus environmentally formed. Religion is 100% a gift of our environment, our parents and grandparents. We may choose it and then immerse ourselves in religion to learn about it. It is 100% environmentally transmitted. Spirituality is innate. Every single one of us, when we look through the lens of a twin study, has an innate capacity for transcendent awareness. It is hardwired, and we see it again in the circuits through the fMRI, looking at how the spiritual or awakened brain is engaged. So spirituality is our birthright, just like we're physical or emotional or cognitive. We have two eyes, two ears, and a nose. We are spiritual beings. And if anyone, I could meet you for half a second, and if I'm asked, am I a spiritual being? Unequivocally, yes, you are born a spiritual being. Now, it's your choice, the extent to which you cultivate that, the extent to which you build the muscle. But the other thing I can say as fact is that when we do strengthen our natural capacity for transcendent awareness, we are 
healthier, far less likely to fall to the diseases of despair. We have better relational ethics. We don't screw each other over. We see each other as sisters and brothers. And you know, right now at this moment of transition, we are more able to make innovative guided decisions versus, you know, what am I gonna do? I haven't seen this playbook before. Oh no, we're off script. You know, there's a capacity in us when we're spiritually aware to know that we're loved and held and that we're guided. That is not a belief. That's not from my religion or your religion or the next guy's religion. That is a deep capacity for perception with which we're endowed. And the problem in society that we are fixing right now in the center, fixing that donut sized hole, is that in the 20th century, you know, it is not until I have bottomed out, lost my job, my spouse is estranged, that I can finally stand in the public square and say, I'm going to hand it over to my higher power. I'm only allowed to talk about my higher power when my life has really been threadbare. But actually, we were born on day one to be able to hand it over to our higher power. It is called the neuro seat for a transcendent relationship. And whether in my faith tradition, I call that transcendent relationship, God, Allah, Hashem, or outside of a faith tradition, spirit, the universe, the force in and through life, we are all born to be in that transcendent relationship. Fine, call it whatever in your heart is your name, but without it, we have an illusion. We have, we have blinded ourselves into really a dark fantasy that we are alone, that we're flat fractured, that we're splintered, that all there is to us is our bio bodysuit and our red and blue political t-shirts. That is such a shallow, radically materialist view of who we are. We're souls on earth. We're children of who I call God. We are so much more. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But that's the ego speaking most of that. All that, all the things you just re- recited at the very end there, when we're just the, the meat suit and we're just our, you know, our shirts and all this. This is all ego that we're alone. You know, from from my own personal journey, you know, I I'm a recovering Catholic. Uh, and, uh, I was, you know, raised Catholic most of my, you know, most of my you know childhood all the way up through college. And only when I kind of rejected it and walked away from all spirituality, pretty much always still had a little bit of a taste in it in the back of my head, uh, of God, but it was never really strong. Only recently when I started to go back down the road, and I would say within the last five, six, seven years, when I started meditating going deeper in, going in with, you know, and understanding that I can connect directly to God, directly to the higher source myself without a middleman or a middle person, um, my life started to change. I became happier. I became less angry. Uh, and, and, and all these things that I was, my God, road rage when I was growing up was insane because of this anger I had. And it was because I denied the spiritual side of myself. So I want to ask you, in your studies, how do you, how do you, what does spirituality do to the brain under a, a an MRI, fMRI? And if you could explain what an fMRI is to people who don't know what it okay, is. Okay, and if I could pick up, that's such a very generous story you just told, Alex. And it's a story that I hear from many people on a spiritual path that when they were growing up, whatever faith tradition they may have been from, the messenger relayed the meaning in a way that really rubbed them the wrong way. 
And it could have been that the messenger didn't walk the walk, or it could have been that the messenger was a little foibled, a great deal foibled. But part of their journey on the spiritual path is to realize that, oh, you know what? That was just one foibled human, one naturally foibled human. They are not the sum totality of the spiritual path or even the faith tradition from which they may have come. That was just one person, a torchbearer, not the fire, not the mm -hmm. torch. Oh, and nice. I think that that's a journey that a lot of people make. Um, and I have a deep respect for people who stay with it to find their own direct relationship to the flame, to the brightness of the torch. Um, and when we do, what we find through our MRI studies, and in particular, the type of MRI study that's the movie camera MRI that watches live action, the flow of blood, the use of our brain circuits as we have an experience, shows us that whether we are spiritual and not religious, spiritual in nature, or Catholic, Christian, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, whatever our faith tradition may be, we all use the same circuits. There's one spiritual brain and we can all awaken our universal spiritual brain. Now we may tell it in different ways. It can be formulated through different language and symbols, but it's there for all of us. And what it does is lead us to perceive. We know, we feel, we see that we are loved and held. We can hand it over to our higher power, meaning we are indeed in our most despairing moment and in glorious moments, loved and held. We perceive that because we have engaged the bonding network just as we were held as children in our parents' arms. We know that we are loved and held, guided. We move from the I've got to have it narrow top-down dorsal to the bottom-up ventral attention network, which opens up the world and perhaps you can relate to times breaking out of the narrow tunnel vision, the bowling alley of I've got to have it, the carrot or nothing, that golden carrot versus the world just became illuminated, has more pixels, loved and held, guided. And we shift from feeling really cut off and splintered as so much of the discourse has promoted. You know, I am alone in my COVID apartment. I am a, nothing more than the formula of six demographic variables, you know, splintered alone. That's the parietal putting in and out hard, hard boundaries to realizing, oh, we're actually white caps on one ocean. In, intervene in Sikh Han's terms. We are emanations of one sun, loved and held, guided, and never alone. So when our awakened brain is engaged, we see this. It's not a belief, and it's certainly not borrowed. It's an authentic, direct orientation to life. So you're saying that regardless if you have a religious, if you, if it's religious, if it's a spiritual, innate in spirituality, or a outside kind of spirituality, any of those things trigger the same neural pathways in the brain because it's what works for the individual as opposed to not one size fits all. Well, the telling of the story has different words, whether I say right. spirit or source or the great unity of life or God talked to me or spirit is in and through air, wind and crow. It's still the deep seat of transcendent perception that we share. And Ken Wilber put very beautifully that some traditions say it's a dialogue and we build a dialogue. I talk to God and in my heart feel an answer. Some say there's a oneness. I'm of one creation, that felt sense of unity with all life. And some say, our rich indigenous traditions, that there's sanctity, God, Wananichi, in and through, wind, sun, tree, and crow. 
no matter how we wrap our mind around it cognitively, that's actually downstream of the deep catch, the deep, deep catch of the transcendent presence. That is our birthright to be in connection with this transcendent presence. And, you know, life looks entirely different if we feel that we, if we know, if we see that we're guided, then we stop trying to control life as if we were air traffic control, bringing it in when we want it. You know, that helps about 10% of the time. And it's a skill, tactic, strategy, but 90% of the time life is dynamic. And we certainly saw that with COVID. It doesn't matter what my plans might be or what institutions seem so stable. It just fell apart under my feet. There's something much deeper. And right now, this death of the illusion of control, this crumbling of the edifices that we really worship, like the golden calf, they're not stable. They're not real. But what is, is this deep, loving, guiding presence, who I call God. You can call whatever you want, but that is real. That is absolutely real. And when everything else that is made by humans falls and burns, that's still there. That's so a is very that, powerful lesson. <laughs> it, it is an extremely powerful lesson. So what exactly is happening in the mind when you are connected to this spiritual source? Is, is there something different? Because I'm assuming you studied two minds, two different minds, one that was agnostic or an atheist or maybe didn't have any of those beliefs and one that did have a spiritual belief. And I'm assuming there's different variations from like a Tibetan monk who's been meditating for eight hours a day for 30 years versus someone who is just really connected. I'm just curious what happened in the brain and what's happening in the brain. And Alex, I think you're raising such an important point. What is the opposite of an awakened brain? What is the opposite of when we perceive that we're loved, held, guided, and never alone? And it's not atheism. It's actually, I call it mighty mouse. It's radical solipsism, where we think we are completely in control. And <laughs> that is a notion of who we are that is, you know, when my child, my oldest child turned three a number of years ago, and I made this big birthday party for him, it was Thomas the Train, Thomas Balloons, and to two Thomas Cakes, because it was my first child. And you know, everybody <laughs> came and got a Thomas take-home gift. Of course. And as the doorbell rang, you know, ding dong. I'd spent weeks on this, you know, hand-inscribed the invitations, the whole bit. Ding dong, the doorbell rings. I walk my oldest Isaiah to the door, and I said, look, Isaiah you planned a birthday party. <laughs> and I think that's what we think. We have the view that somehow we've plan planned the birthday party. Um, and radical solipsism, the idea that we're in the middle of the universe and that, oh, I send it out and I get it as my ego had wanted it. I mean, that's just solipsism at the level of energy. It's an illusion of radical control. And it's not atheism. It's, I call it, you know, solipsism. It's, it's, it's really a very... Ego. Yeah. yeah, it's ego thinking that you have control of everything. Isn't it funny though, even, and and I've, since I've worked in the film industry, I've, I've, I've run into a couple of egos in my day. Uh, <laughs> and it's so fascinating to see when you, when, and I did it too, you know, on my journeys where you feel like you control everything and you have to control everything. When you only get angry, when you have, you're trying to control something you can't control. That's the core of anger in many ways. And when I finally let go First of all, oof, I was exhausted. It was just so nice to just let go and just go, okay, I don't have to do all the heavy lifting anymore. And then as you start going back into your life, and I'm sure this has happened to you as well, 
things that you plan never go as you planned. It always ends up in a better state than you originally planned. Better. It ends yes, better. better. That's the key word, Alex. Better. Better. It, it always ends up better because, like I've said before, if you would have gotten everything you wanted or planned for, you would have, can you imagine as a teenager, if you got everything you wanted, you didn't know what the heck you wanted, let alone what it would do to you in the long term. And these oh, are the I things- knew what I wanted. When I was 13, I looked at the women around me and I thought someday, someday, I mean, I never thought about being a professor at Columbia. I never thought of being a psychologist or a scientist. Someday I will have a station wagon with a wood panel on the side and puffed hair and tree trunks. Someday. I mean, right? obvious, obviously. Right. <laughs> so, right. Because when we want something, it's only based on the information from today backwards. It's historically based. But yeah, life guides us with information that we have yet to fully perceive. It's a high pixel hit that is unfurled over time. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So an awakened catch is opening a bright yellow door to a world that we don't know yet. And it is not what we want. It is better than what we want. And that's where we are as a society right now. And it's, but it's also, it's also not what we only, what we, what is better for us, but it's also what we need. And sometimes that might not be exactly what we wanted. And it might not always be a positive or it it could be positive or negative, but in the, it definitely can hurt. Right. But looking, but looking back as, you know, as a, a seasoned, a seasoned young man in this earth, I look back and you just go, oh, thank God I was fired from that job because that was a catalyst to this, 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 and this. Thank God this happened or I would have met my wife. Thank God I didn't date that woman. Thank God I didn't go down this road. Thank God I didn't get that job. Because at the moment, all you I love that thing that you just said. This like all when you want something, it's only based on what you want of information you currently have and the past, not the information of a year from now, five years from now, a month from now. But the universe, God has all information. And Correct. so that red door you wanted so bad, that is stuck and slammed. And that is an act of, I would say, of divine presence because you have to make a U-turn. You have to make a hairpin turn. And, and it's you find that yellow door, that it, big new world. And I find that it's merciful, honestly, uh, that the door, the, the red door is, is, is because if not, we would just be bumping ourselves in, oh my God, the destruction that we could do to ourselves. And we do so much already, let alone if we actually had that ability to just whatever we want happen right away, because you just, there's, there's a bigger force around you. And I've just seen it happen again and again, and again, and again. And it awakens us, you know, again, out of this solipsistic air traffic control mighty mouse frame to, wait a minute, and I can tell you, Alex, in the MRI, this is what it sounds like. When we shift from the narrow achieving awareness, I've got to have it, to an awakened awareness. It sounds like this. You know, I'm walking down the sidewalk and I feel like such a loser. We've gone out for three years. I had a promise ring. I We were going to get married. I had drawn pictures of what our kids would look like. And we talked about where we'd live. And then the week of graduation, he called it off. I felt so ugly. I felt like such a loser. But then, you know, sitting in the childhood pews by my parents and grandparents, I felt this great love for my family and I felt God's love. And I knew, you know what? I'll love again. 
or told outside of the faith tradition, you know, I really wanted that job. I'd gotten through four rounds. You know, I was in the bag. I did everything right. I researched the firm. I said everything they wanted to hear. And at the last minute, I didn't get it. And I thought, I will never be in finance like my dad or my, or my mom. I will never go into business. I'm going to barely make a living. I'm such a loser. They must have thought I was so stupid. I did something wrong. But then I saw light in the leaves. And I realized, you know, I will be productive. I will be an entrepreneur. I will build something in the way that it was intended for me. And there's this total rearrangement of meaning. And it's a total 52-card pickup. And it's to a world that's brighter, it is loving, it is held, and it is guided. And it isn't what I wanted, but it is something more right for me. And we, I mean, we don't know what it looks like yet, but we know it. If you would have told me eight years ago that I'd be podcasting, I first of all, I would say, what the hell is a podcast? Secondly, uh, I wouldn't have believed you. This is insane that I'm here doing this interview with you, speaking to people like yourself about these kind of topics, but how the universe guided me to this place in this meandering kind of way is, is divine. Honestly, just how I got to this place in, in my life, not just for the show, but just in general, you look back and you start analyzing decisions that were made and opportunities that were presented to yourself it's hard not to believe that there's something else guiding this process because it doesn't make sense that these things happened in the first place. Like, why did I pick up this book that gave me an idea to have an online business, which then had me launch a podcast when nobody was really doing podcasts about filmmaking, which then led to this and this and this to the point where we're sitting here today. It's an insane journey. You were prepared by life itself, by spirit, how God. And nothing is wasted, including the value of having as a child been raised Catholic, if I oh. might say so. Oh, I'm okay. sure. <laughs> what our data shows us is that whether or not an adult still claims to be Catholic, having been raised as a child in Catholicism gives a strong, if you will, we myelinate the tracks, we pave the highways to be able to perceive the transcendent relationship. And that is the awakened brain from which all, all deep understanding of our dialogue with life is found. So people raised Catholic do very, very well when they mm -hmm. hold on to the transcendent relationship. And okay, you know, you generously shared, well, you were in film, you know how to produce something and you know how to engage something and you have a beautiful voice. So nothing was wasted. It all conspired into this moment. Oh, I, I mean, again, looking back and you start going back and you go, okay, this all makes sense, but it's just so, it seemed random at the moment, but it seems perfectly disconstructed along the way and it's like oh so everything i've kind of gone through has prepared me for this moment and and what i'm doing right now and if i wouldn't have been in the film industry and understand storytelling understand production understand graphic design understand all these things i wouldn't have been able to do this and i wouldn't have been able to do that and it's you know it's fascinating it is a fascinating journey and i think everyone should you know even if they're not in a place they want to be sit down for a second and look back at where they've been and see how those turns have happened for themselves. And you'll see, um, you'll start to appreciate what's going on. <laughs> yeah, Alex, in the awakened brain, I share a practice about just this topic um, and that synchronicity 
Mm -hmm. events far too improbabilistic to have happened by chance can really help us engage this deeper dialogue with God or spirit. Um, do you want to do the practice now? Or sure, we... sure, go for right. it. Great. Well, super. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, take okay. five breaths, go into your inner space. I invite you to locate a time where you wanted something really badly and you did everything right. You researched it, you got it down, you strategized, you laid it out tactically, and it was yours. That red door was yours. It could have been a job promotion, it could have been put on a job, it could have been an admission to a school, someone saying yes, he or she, it was yours. And when you reached for the red door, it was stuck. And you couldn't believe it because you'd done everything right, 99% in the back. And first you were stunned, maybe angry, then kicked the door, maybe in time depressed. But only because that red door was jammed did you turn. You may have turned 25, 40, 180 degrees. And over there was a wide open yellow door. It was a bright open yellow door. And on the other side was a landscape that has everything to do with who you are and where you are today. Mm -hmm. And what I want to ask is when you look at that shut red door, the hairpin turn that led to the wide open yellow door, it has everything to do with who you are. Was there someone at that hairpin turn? I mean, did they tell you a story? Did they, did you run into someone that you hadn't seen in eight years? Did your best friend tell you a story that she or he had never shared before? Was there something someone showed you or showed up and said that pointed you to that yellow door? Was there a trail angel? Mm -hmm. And as you sit way back and you look at that stuck red door, the hairpin turn, the trail angel and the wide open yellow door, how really are the most important parts of our lives found? Are we makers of our path or are we discoverers of our journey? And sitting way back kindly, how is life really built and where in your road of life is your higher power? Who I call God, you may call spirit, the force. Is God in the stuck red door and the open yellow door? Is God in the trail angel? Is God in your ability to be in dialogue with the road of life? Mm -hmm. So people who say, I don't know if I'm spiritual, often will have had deep hairpin turns in their lives and realize that they actually have been engaged in an awakened way with the force through life, who I call God. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But we all have, we all have, every, every single human being has, and even from the Aborigine in the middle of the outback who've never seen a human, <laughs> your civilization has it in their way. And, and so do we, you know, it's, it's, it's there whether you accept it or not. It's there whether you acknowledge it or not. When you acknowledge it and you start to understand it and start to dive into it, it becomes a lot easier and things start i think things start to speed up at least it has for me the doors start those those yellow doors start opening up more and more and you're and you start seeing less red doors and more yellow doors and you just start going through door 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 and then you start things start to flourish 
much faster because it's kind of like going up upstream. You're walking upstream. It's, it's exhausting, but the stream's going to keep going regardless of how much you fight against it. Eventually, you're going to tire out. You're going to fall. And then where is the stream going to take you? Where was going to take you anyway? Going with the river. Without question. Now, but, you know, I think that most people, I agree with you, have had these experiences. Oh, yeah. But to honor it, elevate it, and say, hey, I'm going to prioritize looking for yellow doors. I'm going to take synchronicity as a big tap on the shoulder. What is God telling me now? I'm going to use my meditation and my prayer to say, what is being shown to me now? And I think as a society, you know, what is being shown to us? I think we kind of, we were worshiping our institutions. We were worshiping our bucks and our fame. And, you know, maybe there's something really powerful that we can all be in on in this creation of a much more you know, open system view of who we are. We're in dialogue on a journey. Now, Coming from a scientific standpoint, I'm imagining when you came out with these studies, how did your colleagues and and quote unquote mainstream, you know, neuroscience accept these these findings? Because again, you're kind of pushing against the norm and pushing things a little bit outside the box that they're comfortable with. What? How were you accepted? How were these ideas accepted? So, Alice, there's a distinction here between the real germ of the science. And I would say that over the past 20 plus years of my journey as a clinical scientist, the peer review process that is what holds science sure has been exquisitely functional. So my lab and in time fellow labs have published articles that were pretty paradigm changing. And it, every bit of work ours and fellow labs went through the peer review process through which science maintains the quality of all published articles. Every scientific piece is reviewed by two or three scientists blind to the authors two or three times. So when we came out, for instance, in the late 90s, showing that a teen with a strong spiritual core is at 80% decreased relative risk for addiction using DSM criteria, drugs, alcohol, four-fifths less likely to take our lives completed suicide, when we have a strong spirituality that's shared, that every teen goes through a depression, it is a developmental depression through which is existentially found their spiritual awakening. These types of findings were so clear that when these articles went through peer review, they were put in, in leading journals, journals like American Journal of Psychiatry, Journal of the American Academy of Child and Adolescence. So the scientific peer review process worked. And the good housekeeping seal of science on the inherent integrity of the pieces worked. What was kerfuffling for people was that there was this sort of 20th century view that somehow spiritual life was, quote, unscientific. And some people would say, I'm a scientist and I only take true that which can be shown by science. And other people in the 20th century would say, profoundly spiritual. And I don't care if science can show it or not. I know it in my heart to be true. Well, what we had started to do in the late 90s, the past 20 years in the 2000s is take the lens of science and science is only a lens and turn it to the question of the impact of spirituality in the human life, the origin of spirituality in the human life, the absolutely tidal wave game-changing findings were jaw-dropping. 
And science had not seen, for instance, an 80% protective effect. A teen who says, I turn to my higher power for guidance versus I don't know what you're talking about as an entirely different adolescence. So if, you know, as parents, if there's one, I have three adolescents, if there's one thing I want for them, it's a strong awakened brain. It's, it's what every parent should want. I don't care where they go to college. I do care that they can be in dialogue with the universe, with God, as we've been talking about. I, that is all I care. It's fascinating. And, and also in your, in some of your work, you talk about the effect of spirituality on mental health patients, which is, I mean, we have a, just a, a, a pandemic in mental health issues uh, in the States, but also around the world. And if spirituality can help that, I'd love to hear your findings in that space. We have a post-industrial global culture that is in a pandemic of the diseases of despair. And it is true across every decade of life, but it is so acute in who we call Gen Z that it is threatening to their well-being. It is a national security crisis when one in five people can even be considered for the military. It, I've spoken to employers in this work. It is very hard to train people because it hurts so much to simply fail. You know, failing is not just you know. So this is the work. And Gen Z has so much, if you will, inner talent. Gen Z is exquisitely perceptive. Gen Z is profoundly ethical. They chase after ethics. Gen Z is so capable and works together. But what is missing that we didn't give them, and I hope so much that in this next few years will be found, and I think it will, by Gen Z themselves, is that every single young adult through time has gone through a developmental depression, a suffering. What is the oh. point of it all? What is true? What is real? And through this real questioning, you know, wait a minute, what if nothing's real? What if the universe has no meaning? What if, you know, all the things that mom, dad, pastor, priest, and mom, rabbi, you all taught me, what if they're not true? That's a really empty, existentially painful, hollow place to be. Well, we all go through this and come out to our own form of awakening. But Gen Z is doing this right now when there's a 52 card pickup around them because all of society, all of us grownups are also in a collective developmental depression. Society is in the developmental depression through which we will hit our next deeper spiritual awakening, but it's concomitant for Gen Z with when they're doing this very personal work. And it is rough. It is rough. Is, is it because of that generation? Because I'm a Gen Xer and uh, it, you know, we, I'm a bridge between the old and the new. That's the way our generation, I feel is our, you know, Gen X generation is, it's like, it understands pre-internet, it understands post-internet. We were the internet generation of the technology and all of that stuff. You know, we were beaten and spanked and life was tough. And we, there was losers and winners in life. You know, not everyone got a, you know, a, a participation trophy and all that kind of stuff. So we, tend to take life a little bit differently than the generations behind us. Do you feel that that's, you know, I think our generation, we were like, oh man, we were so beaten up mentally, emotionally, psychologically by our, our environment, our parents and things like that, because they didn't know any better. That's how they were. They were raised um, that we wanted to really coddle our, our kids in a way that now it is 
becoming a problem for them to even just deal with basic things like failure, like, you know, not winning or not perceived of, of, you know, getting what you want in life. And that life is, I deserve this, this entitlement that they have where, you know, my wife and I look at each other, I'm like, <laughs> life will teach them. <laughs> Life's going to figure that out for them along the way. But what's your, what's your opinion of that? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I was an early Gen X, one of the first. And I think that whether or not any particular family happened to be religious, in the air and water of our culture, there was a deep spirituality that included a sense of one country under God. I really think we were raised that way. It was held in the pledge. It was held in our culture. It's in our money. It was on our right. There's a higher power. And we knew that it was wrong to take your life. And we knew that it was wrong in an ultimate moral sense in the fabric of how reality itself is constructed. It was wrong to take your life and it was wrong to take someone else's life. That is not the case when we take away who I call God, the highest power. We are not beholden to anything. Our life is ours. So my little daughter runs up to me, mommy, mommy, look here. And sure enough on her phone, I can't take it anymore. It hurts. It's hurt for two months. I'm ending it. I'm taking my life. And what to fo- what follows? You go girl. It's your life. No one can tell you what to do. Okay. That is a culture devoid of one country under God. That is a culture devoid of a deep, deep sense that each of us are sacred and that we didn't make ourselves and our parents didn't make us. And we were made by source, by spirit, by universe. And it is not ours to take. That's that's a point of view that is not in the current culture. And it goes hand in hand with the school shootings, a child, a sacred child, if from the, I don't happen to be Christian, but from the lens of every child is a sacred little Christ child. They're a baby. They're a sacred baby. You know, this 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 idea that a child would be killed and that there'd be somehow some sort of aesthetic dark culture around that. I mean, this is from a entire generation who are sensitive, who are smart, who are capable, and ninety nine percent would never dream of harming themselves or anyone else, but one percent would. And it wasn't the case 20 years ago. Why? Because we were raised with a deep capacity to myelinate the tracks, pave the highways, and hold on to our innate awakened awareness and know each other as emanations of God of source. We knew each other as sacred. That's what's missing. It's not the helicopter parents. It's the helicopter parents didn't teach their kids to be in connection to God or the higher power or whatever you want to call the transcendent sacred source of life. I've I've said this before as well as that. I feel that when you're closer to that power, you are happier, more content, more, you feel safer. You feel uh, that you're guided. The farther you are from it, you become more angry, more bitter, more vindictive, you know, more materialistic, all these things as you're farther away from source energy. And when we're born, we're all born connected to, we're like fresh off the boat of, of source. Yeah. And in those first seven years, as, as Dr. Bruce Lipton's talks about is we 
are programmed. We're down, we're downloading our environment. And like you said, perfectly right is our religions are, are a environmental download into our systems. Cause you, you know, you're not born, you know, you don't come out going, gee, where's my first commandment or first com uh, communion. Like that's not a thing. You're taught that by your parents as it was taught to them. It's traditional. So it's, I think that it's closer you get to a, a, a version, whatever that version might be to source energy, to God, to the inner connective of that you are bigger than just yourself. Life becomes happier. You become just more connected to everybody around you. Correct. And everybody else is much more likable because the very same neuro seat through which we are in relationship to our higher power is the same neuro seat through which we feel love towards one another, love of neighbor. So when we awaken and we use our awakened brain, everybody else looks a lot better because we see them more clearly. Well, let me ask you, so let's get into the hard science a little bit in regards to what happens in the in the brain because I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm, I'm a neuroscience geek. So I love studying neuroscience and and what happens in the brain. To my understanding, you know, we are we are wired uh, with certain things that come in, like as you're being downloaded throughout your life, there's certain habits that get wired in, there's certain ideas that get wired in, and they become almost like a hard wiring along the way. And then it's as you get older, it becomes much more difficult to break that wiring, uh, you know, to change the wiring. That's why it's hard, hard to stop smoking or to, you know, if you don't like the gym, to go to the gym or, you know, these kind of things because you're hardwired a certain way. But you can rewire it. It is manual. With spirituality, is there a place in the brain that there's a hard wiring that you just like makes the, I'm talking out of, I don't know about neuroscience. So explain it to me. <laughs> born with an innate spiritual brain, which we can awaken, which we yes. can use. And there are growth spurts built in, just as we shoot up and grow physically from 18 through 25, we grow spiritually. There's synaptogenesis, we grow spiritually. And we see this through longitudinal twin studies through an increase in the heritable contribution, which means from the inside out, there's mm -hmm. a biological clock. So when I look at Gen Z, I think how wonderful, because even though right now there's a struggle, half of Gen Z is struggling, they are in a growth spurt that allows, they, Gen Z is better at being able to drill down and ask these questions. Gen Z is better at being able to receive at the level of the heart, the high pixel pickup of a, wow, that was a blast of love, a blast of transcendence. Gen Z is in a growth spurt because 18 through 25 is a time of high impact from the environment because we are so impressionable. The good news for Gen Z is that they are coming of age at a time. It has always been the young that led the civil rights movement, that led the Arab Spring. You know, They're coming at age of a time where they can have an incredible impact on the spiritual formation of our society, right? As they are forming spiritually. And what an extraordinary journey. What an extraordinary journey. Who wouldn't want to do that? It's hard and at times it's excess, you know, when our spiritual capacity boots up, it feels augmented capacity, like ooh, a half empty glass of spirituality. But that, it expands and there's so much love and illumination that will go into that container if we stay with it. So Gen Z is having the ultimate experience if they say yes to it, if they say yes to it and allow the developmental depression 
what is life showing me now? What is my higher power asking me to see? What is the point of life? Hey, when I meditate, when I pray, what comes? Synchronistically, who just walked into my life when I, on the outside, so-called, when I ask the question on the so-called inside of my mind. So they are discoverers and scientists and spiritual seekers right at the point where we're having a total reshuffling of 52 card pickup as a society. It's fantastic. So let me ask you this. Um, what happens in our mind when we meditate versus prayer? Did you ever do studies like that? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, they're not the identical process. Right. Uh, and I think that one of the things that we see in prayer is that um, there is a, well, it depends how we meditate, right? Because the term is used broadly. But very often some forms of meditation ask that we allow thoughts to pass like a cloud. And that is a good practice to quiet our mind and to increase our attention. But it only brings us to the threshold of what we might then cross over into spiritual awareness, which is a receptive process through which we receive an inspiration through which we suddenly simply know something to be true. And that's why the receptive consciousness practices and, you know, if you think of art for past several hundred years, some of the best art was done um, in and around, at the time, religion, spiritual life, because there was a sense that it was through inspiration, through the touch, that we perceive and receive inspiration. When I started at Columbia teaching spirituality and psychology, there had never been a class like that before. It was 20 years ago. Well, more, it was 1999. And at the time, we spoke about synchronicity and we spoke about the deep guidance where the proof is in the pudding. Everyone in the room felt it to be true, but we hadn't published this, these hundred peer review articles and fellow labs hadn't done their work either. And everyone kept looking at the door, like somehow the thought police were going to come busting in and we'd all be in trouble for having a foundationally spiritual view of reality. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And now there's buckets of science that mirror that which we've known all along. And, you know, I don't think spiritual life needs proof, but I think it is very moving when we see it in spiritual life in our inner wisdom mirrored in empiricism. It's two lenses onto one reality. As you it, it's so fascinating because I've been, you know, anytime I have a quantum physicist on, I, you know, that has a spiritual understanding of like, oh no, it, they're the same. Quantum physics and spirituality are now starting to come in closer. And now your work in neuroscience and spirituality is starting to come closer. It just keeps reinforcing the idea that that science is catching up to spirituality, to to things that we've been talking about in the Vedic texts for, you know, for 5,000 years, 6,000 yes. years. It's fascinating. These concepts have been around for a long, long time, but science is starting to figure it out. And we're starting to, I think science is starting to finally catch up to like, no, we can actually now prove some of this stuff. And your work is invaluable in the, in the neuroscience space where then you now can say that a, a spiritually inclination in your mind leads to this, 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 and this in your life. And we can prove it inequivocally. <laughs> like it's there. Well, I think when we can mirror 
deep inner experience in the language the, through the lens of science, right? We can see multiple forms, we can use multiple forms of human knowing onto one deep phenomenon, right? And so what really then happens in our culture is that we become validated in knowing in multiple ways. At the table, the inner table of human knowing for all of us is the empiricist and the logician, and so too the intuitive and the mystic and the skeptic. And all forms of human inquiry and reception and perception can work together. And when we do engage multiple forms of knowing, mystical awareness comes and then we discern over time, over the future, how that information unfolds. Or we ask a nagging logical question and get an intuitive answer. When we engage multiple forms of knowing that way, we literally myelinate the tracks between regions of the brain. We pave the highways and we have a better brain. We have a more innovative, more creative brain. And it, yes, makes you better at your job and more outwardly successful, but more importantly, you engage them in life in a highly innovative and creative way. That comes from engaging all of our human capacities for perception and knowing. When science joins alongside spiritual awareness of the mystical or intuitive form, we start to have a conversation that strengthens multiple forms of human knowing working together. And I and imagine that when you started that class in 99 versus, you know, people you talk to today, these concepts are much more accepted in society than they were even 23 years ago. Oh, Alex, yeah. you're so right. In 99, I said, who here knows what synchronicity is? <laughs> and maybe a third of the students would raise their hand. Right. Whereas now everybody comes in speaking of synchronicity and they want to be spiritually oriented teachers, coaches, healers, activists, you know, they're already on their path. The Spirituality Mind Body Institute at Columbia welcomes 50 students a year. They're all on a spiritual path. They come speaking of synchronicity and they come from all over the world. They come from India and China and the Middle East and Puget Sound and Maine and Colorado, they come from all over. And they're all connecting at what I call the universal innate spiritual core through their different languages and traditions. It's beautiful. Right. So they're spiritually multilingual. That's, it's amazing. I think the generation coming up behind us, I think they were just, when they came in, they they, they feel programmed from the factory to accept certain things a little bit differently than we were. Uh, even the concepts of meditation and yoga and synchronicity and you know karma and these ideas, spiritual ideas, even simulation theory and the illusion and all of this kind of stuff, they seem to be more accepting of it and actually looking for this information yeah. versus for us, that was like, you know, we were sporadic and we'd like, it was a few of us that were like, no, we got to go find this stuff. And now it's like, everybody is, this generation is really much more accepting. Understand like yeah. my kids, my kids look but at I like, they're bored. They're bored by outdated Right. Like even my kids, they just don't even understand racism. Like they don't get it. They're like, what? what did it, it, it just doesn't compute to them. It was so it's fascinating. Such it's such a blessing. It's beautiful. That's true. My, you look at my children. They, it would, what on earth? Like, you know, it seems archaic. It, it's, it's, it's barbaric. They just, they, and you look at them and like, what? Like, you don't, you're supposed to help people. Like, I don't like, and it's like, 
So our know, children were raised in a world where we're one. They really were. I mean, my children have, like you're saying, you know, they have only been in a world where they date people of all races, where their friends are of all races. They have never been in a tribal world. And right. so racism makes no sense to them. They're like, what on earth are we in? It, it, it this makes no sense. It's 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 fascinating to see, and I can only imagine in the coming years what's coming because there is a great awakening happening. There is, you know, I do even though we are going through some insane times right now, I feel that there is an awakening. More people are awakening up. I could just see it by my own numbers of the show. There's a lot of people searching. A lot of people want to know this information, and and now it's out there in a way that you don't have to go to. A, you know, a, a college at class in Columbia, which is, would, I would have loved to go by the way. Um, but you can, you could listen to shows like this. There's thousands of books like yours out there that can open their minds and, and teach them in ways that even 20 years ago, was just not accessible. Well, in the awakened brain, I interview people who talk about their spiritual awakening and how in that process of finding really a deep connection to spirit, to the force in and through us and starting to love and know each other as like rays from the sun, right? All, all sacred beings. They found their life's path and their entire life, whether they then became a devoted environmentalist or um, one of the people I interview is Tim Schreiber who spent decades supporting Special Olympics, giving every person dignity and freedom. You know, that spiritual awakening is oftentimes the microcosm for the rest of our lives. It is the high pixel hit through which um, over time unfurls our sacred journey. So there's really nothing more important we can do than spend time exactly as you say, seeking deep with our heart, knowing of our heart and knowing of our head, knowing of our soul working together, what is our spiritual path? Because that is, that's not just a better life. That is actually the only buoyant life in our era. Now, also with your work, you've discovered um, a connection between spirituality and depression and addiction, which I found really interesting because there's so much addiction, especially in the West. Uh, and and depression is another pandemic that we're dealing with. What are your what were your findings with spirituality and uh, addiction and depression? So we know that two thirds of people in recovery from addiction get there through a spiritual awakening. And of those two thirds, about half chip away at it and do hard work to get there, prayer and meditation and readings, and, and about half have a spontaneous spiritual awakening. But if we know that two thirds of people recover through spiritual awakening, can't we get ahead of this? And it turns out that when you look at nationally representative samples in the United States, it is true that right at the window of risk, lifetime course of addiction often starts in adolescence and in particular late adolescence. So right at the trailhead where we either have a lifetime of addiction or a lifetime free of addiction, there is a 80% protective benefit of a strong spirituality. So a 19 year old who says, I turn to my higher power for guidance when I'm having a really difficult time, when if someone's just broken my heart and dumped me and I don't know what to do, I ask my higher power, am I worth, worthy? Will you bring me more love? You know, I turn to God for guidance. That deep transcendent relationship, if it's there, instead of 11 years, 
that moment at 19, at 20, is a setup for the rest of our lives. It is a developmental foothold. It's really the foundation for the rest of our lives. So if you want to predict against addiction, and I don't care what your genes are, we've shown this in children of opiate addicts. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. The best thing we can do for young adults is strengthen their deep transcendent capacity to be in relationship to to spirit, to life itself, and to know one another. And, And AA holds these two deep components in recovery, handing it over to the higher power and showing up for one another so that we are all loved and held and guided. Relational spirituality. It's the same neuro seat that lets us love each other, that lets us love our higher power. And AA strengthens that seat. So can't we get ahead of it? And we do that on the Columbia and Barnard campus. We do awakened awareness. Yes, it's prevention against addiction and depression, but more foundationally doing awakened awareness on the college campus at Barnard or Columbia, it strengthens the natural capacity for awakened awareness for knowing that these young adults are heading into the window of risk. Now, I have to ask you, because this is one of my fascinations in science right now, is psychedelics that are being used in spirituality. And what is happening, because I've seen so many studies now of psychedelics being used in treatment of addiction, depression, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, and what it's doing there. I, I I know that's not directly with what you do, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, I'm assuming you've, you've read about it or even had some experience. Oh, sure. with it. Yeah. And yes. And half my students are exploring that stuff. And what I would say is it's a trailhead. It's an opening, but it's not the end in and of itself. You know, right. It's to be integrated with deep meditation and prayer if you have a sense of a higher power it's then to be integrated with service and right action and spiritual values the jews say it's then to be integrated right and what we see in our studies and, and one of my students tomas Freiman, just did his dissertation on this is that when there is use of a psychedelic when there is also integration with prayer and meditation and right action and service then we do really well But if there's not integration, then there can actually be over time an inauspicious outcome where everybody else is so unenlightened, the ego can take control. Where, you know, I used to love you, but you're not as transcendent as me and I'm ditching. Okay, if you're on a spiritual path and you reach an understanding that your partner doesn't have, you go back and you get them and help them along. That's not spiritual to dump the people who love you. So, you know, I think integration is important. The other thing that's important is that it is the transcendent relationship and an awakening that is endogenous, meaning it happens spontaneously or through prayer and spiritual practice. That awakening is in deeply felt relationship to God or the universe, whereas jump-starting it is not always felt and cultivated as a relationship. And it is the transcendent relationship to life itself, God, and God's presence in you, my brother, my sister. So it is the relationship. The higher power is not an awakening. It is a relationship, right? Very important point that comes over time and years and and whether it's dialogue or unit awareness. I can share with you a practice that I do at Columbia and Barnard with our awakened awareness program. Do you want to try it? Absolutely. I'd love to. Okay. This is, I always thank my teacher. This is a practice 
that was taught to me by the late Dr. Gary Weaver. I invite you to close your eyes, take five breaths, clear out your inner space. I invite you to set before you a table. In your inner chamber, this is your table. And to your table, you may invite anyone, living or deceased, who truly has your best interest in mind. Anyone living or deceased who truly has your best interest in mind. And with them all sitting there, ask them if they love you. And now you may invite your higher self, the part of you that is so much more than what you have or don't have, what you've done or not done, your true eternal higher self. And ask you if you love you. And now finally, you may invite your higher power, however you know, whatever you call your higher power. And ask them if they love you. And now with all of those people sitting there right now, what do they need to tell you now? What do you need to know? What do they need to share? Anybody invite you back? This is your birthright. No one can ever take this away from you. This is your natural awakened awareness, your awakened brain. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Um, tell us about your book. Tell us about the awaken, uh, the awakened brain. So the awakened brain is a summation of the science that shows we are naturally spiritual beings, and what science says will change in our lives when we realize our innate spirituality. In summation, what we've just shared is the hub of the wheel of the formation of the whole person. The awakened brain is equally a set of practices that whether you are religious or not religious can help you strengthen and awaken your own birthright. And finally, the third thing is the waking brain shares stories of people who've walked the road through darkness, through the dark night of the soul, what we see as developmental depression into awakening. And all of these pieces of the awakened brain, the journey, the practices that help us on our journey and the science that mirrors our spiritual path and says, not only is this real, it is essential to thriving in our world. And it is the one buoyant approach with which we are hardwired all of us for this time now. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests, what is your definition of living a good life? Hearing and answering the call what is your definition of god the great force of life in us through us and among us that is loving generative and guiding and what is the ultimate purpose of life to love and where can people find out more about you your work your book and everything you're doing well thank you the awakened brain and 
ways that it's been shared with the U.S. Army, with higher education, with businesses, with people who are wonderful like you, Alex. Um, on Instagram, it's Dr. Dot, so Dr. Dot Lisa Miller. There's a lot of different um, ways in which the awakened brain has been brought into our highly transformational moment now in society. And when we strengthen our awakened brain, we look at MRIs and we see a thick, strong brain. Well, we all can do that. This is everybody's. And do you have any final words for our audience? Yeah, I love you and I want your life to go well. And there's a science that says there's a roadmap and it's built in your DNA and it's built in your soul. And I want you to have an amazing life, the biggest, most exciting, sacred life possible. You are uh, an angel, my dear. Thank you so much for not only coming on the show, but for the work that you're doing, tirelessly trying to awaken all of us and having a better life. So I appreciate you very, very much, my dear. Thank you so much. Alex, you are a gem. You are creating the discussion right now in the middle of society that is our way forward. Bless you. I want to thank Dr. Miller so much for coming on the show and sharing her knowledge with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, including how to get her book, The Awakened Brain, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash 176. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.